Welcome to the second episode of our second season of Crozier Cast. I'm Suzanne Hammonds. With me, as always, is your host, Bishop James Wall. And today, we are very pleased to be coming to you from the Little Sisters of the Poor home, Villa Guadalupe, in Gallup, New Mexico. And we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. Sister Mildred Mary of St. Paul. Hello, I'm Sister Maria Christine, the provincial of the Western Province of the Little Sisters. Good evening to everybody. I'm Sister Sarah Maria of Jesus. I'm the new mother in New Mexico. <laughs> Sister Mary William. I've been here for five years. Excellent. And I am Bishop Wall. I'm your host of uh, Crozier Cast. And so we, we thought we'd do a special Crozier Cast um, because, as you heard, we have a Mother Provincial here visiting us. And it's a special time for the Little Sisters of the Poor in the United States because this celebrates the 150th anniversary of the sisters first coming to the United States. And then here locally, this is the 35th anniversary of having the sisters here at Via Guadalupe, uh, which is a, a beautiful, beautiful home right in the heart of, of Gallup. So all of, all of you have been members of the community for some time. So let's probably maybe go through. So how many, how many years professed? How many years professed? 50 years. 50? Oh, 42. 42. 39. 39. 48. 48. <laughs> All right. And so, um, so we have quite a few years here of religious profession and, and service to the church, which is, which is uh, what's wonderful. So your foundress was canonized in 2009. Canonized on October 11th, 2009. I actually know the date. And um, so, um, maybe if you could talk a little bit about your found, who your foundress is, and, and what she did, and and um, and how how this all came about. Well, <clears throat> our foundress's name is Jeanne Jugan. She was born in Cancal, France, and in a fishing village. Her father was lost at sea when she was four years old, and so her mom had to help raise five children alone since he apparently was lost at sea. Jean left home when she was about 13 to help make some money for the family. So she went to a nearby town and she worked in a kitchen in Metri Chouette. And actually that, that um, home is still in existence. And when we all go to La Tour for our final vows, we go and visit there. It's still there. There's a moat around it, and they have their own chapel on the property where they have their own masses and everything. It was really a, a special place. At that time, John was there for about four or five years, and a sailor had his eye on her, hmm. and he proposed <laughs> marriage to her when she was 18. Well, she felt she was too young at that time to to enter in such a contract, so she refused him. Good thing. Well, <laughs> yes, but the sailor wasn't to be put off. He waited six years and came back, and then he knew she was old enough. <clears throat> so she was 24 at that point, and he proposed again, and she said something very special. And after she said it, she really didn't know where it came from. She said, God wants me for a work not yet founded. Hmm. 
And those words just, you know, they were just very surprising to her because she wasn't sure where they came from. But she did understand what they were. Those are great words. If you think about every young person should have that on their heart. Isn't that? That God wants me for work not yet not, founded. Yeah. And I think if, if young people were approaching this, you know, approaching the world from this, I think we'd, we'd have a much happier society. We'd have more people that were serving the Lord. And we'd have more people happy because they would, they would know their vocation from God and they would be able to follow it. So I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I, I just was oh, a little fine. inspired by the ever-quotable St. Jean Jugon. Well, then, as time goes on, she moved on, and she worked at a hospital, uh, La Rose Hospital, for about five or six years, where she learned uh, how to uh, make potions and medicines for the old folks, and she learned how to be a nurse. So she was very well-versed. She worked very hard. And at the end of six years, she herself became ill. So one of her former patients took her home and nursed her back to health. And then the two of them became companions. And uh, they both belonged to the Admirable Mother. They joined this third order, started by St. John Eudes. And it, it was quite a, um, a religious order for women at this time so and it was after the war so there was a big boom for religion at that time Uh, they were having missions all over france and and everybody was coming back to church because they couldn't of course during the war well she and her friend they would go daily uh, and the streets and to help the poor do charity even do housework themselves because they had to make some money to live. And one day, one winter uh, day, John was out and she saw this little lady practically, practically in the gutter. And she knew her because she knew, she knew Anne Chauvin, but she didn't see her sister who always took care of her. So she went over to Anne and she said, Anne, where's your sister? She said, my sister is in the hospital. And at that time, when you went to the hospital, most of the time you didn't go home. Sure. So John picked her up, carried her home, but John's apartment was on the second floor. And the staircase was winding with only a rope to hold on to. So John put the little old lady on her back and carried her up the stairs. Now, John was a strong Briton woman. She wasn't a little short. She was tall and she was sturdy because actually where she lived and the Briton women, they wore the pants in the family because the men were gone nine months out of the year on the boats and the women had to carry on. Whether they ran short of money, they had to make it themselves. So they had to really make a lot of decisions. So John was used to that. So she took this little lady and she put her in her own bed. And then John herself went up the ladder and would sleep in the attic on the floor. Well, the next day, a little old lady knocked on her door. And she said, I hear you're taking care of Anne Chauvin. She said, I have nobody to take care of me. Can I come too? And she said, 
Of course. So she looked at her friend. There's only two beds in the apartment. Looked at her friend and she said yes. So this little lady, Isabel Carew, they put her in the second bed. And I think I had heard, too, the, the Apostolic Nuncio in the United States, uh, Archbishop Christophe Pierre, grew up in that, that area. Yes. Not too far he from did. that. He did. He shared that story with Saint us. He grew up in St. which mm -hmm. is the town that Jean Chugan was living in at the time and where our congregation was founded. So the Apostolic, mm -hmm. Apostolic Nuncio now goes back there every summer for his vacation and he does stay at our home there that we still have. Yeah, he, when we were talking about, nice um, connection. if you heard that little growl going on, that is the house dog, that's mm -hmm. Maxie, deciding that she needs to go out, that she can't stay with us any longer. <laughs> um, now she's out, so you'll probably hear her bark wanting to come in. But um, yeah, I know when, when I was speaking with the Archbishop and he was first telling us his story, a group of bishops, uh, his face really lit up when he started to talk about the Little Sisters of the Poor. So you can tell that um, the spirituality of St. Jean Jugan and the, the work of the community has a big impact on him as well. So that itself, that, you know, taking people in, giving the bed, the house starting to fill up, that was the, the beginnings of, of the community life. How did it take on... You know, how did it, how did it uh, canonically, I guess, come together? Well, I think we would say it was thanks to a, a good priest friend that we had at that time who was also French, who had been educated in Rome and had made many connections with priests and professors and others at the seminary there who later on he would connect with in different countries, not only France, that's Father Ernest Lelievre, who was from Valencian area of, of France, but in Spain, in England, and especially in the United States. So it was through him and also a woman from Cincinnati, Sarah Worthington Peter, who invited the Little Sisters to come to the United States. But he was very instrumental, Father Leliev. He spoke different languages from this time in his education. So the he sisters came, came to Brown the U.S. not too long after the community was founded? Well, we were founded in 1839, okay. so 1868. Yeah, it's not too long no, after that. not long at all to think about as Sister Mildred was saying, the post-French Revolution, the poverty, and Jeanne Chugan herself not being formally educated. Sure. She was educated in the ways of, of living, growing up, working hard, and I would say an identification with the poor. But the side, uh, that was the charity side, but the education, the business side and all of that came through Father Leliev, who came over, met up with bishops and friends and other people that opened the door for us to come very quickly. They always said that the Americans were the first postulants, the missionary postulants. Sure. Because of John Chagan loved them and took a lot of interest in them because they crossed the ocean. ocean. Yeah. So they went from here over there. Mm-hmm. Boy. When the language, you know, the language was different. But the first seven sisters came over from France to the United States before postulants went over to France for the formation. Sure, sure. And I guess it probably about that time here in the United States, we were used to seeing religious come over, you know, where English wasn't their first language or they were from a different culture. So we were very, very used to that. But 
it's wonderful to see the, the, the postulants from here go over and get trained and, and then go wherever after that. Well, what we're finding out in, in reading is that it was the post-Civil War, how many religious congregations were coming over from Europe, partly before, but many in response to the needs and the tragedy and the suffering that was the post-Civil War. Sure, that would make sense. Make perfect sense. Yeah, but I think the spreading of the uh, congregation in France itself before it went out to other countries, like in Rain was the first uh, foundation, and then it spread out to you know all parts of France and Europe. Where is that in Rain? Rain is in France. Mm -hmm. I think I've been there. They have a beautiful cathedral. That's right. Yes. I always mispronounce the name, so that's why I was curious. <laughs> And yes. I mispronounce every uh -huh. French word. Uh -huh. and, um, but that's a beautiful place, beautiful, yes. yeah, very, very nice. <coughs> and then so, so from the first, do we know what other country followed France? What was the first? Was I think it Portugal. Portugal? In Spain. Could be. That they were sense. so close. Yeah, makes, they are so close. Mm -hmm. I think the mission countries was the first one to India. It was um, Calcutta was the first um, mission of the Little Sisters, because mm -hmm. I know in the Oceani it was the 1882, they came to um, Australia. And so, so you're from Samoa? Yes, I am from Samoa. And so how did you find out about the Little Sisters then? The Little Sisters arrived in Western Samoa in 1971, and their home was only open 1975. Mm -hmm. and they're still there. They're four little sisters of different nationalities. Um, one from Spain, from uh, New Zealand, um, India, and Australia. Oh my goodness. Yes. So how I found out, I was working in a big surface, you know, like a warehouse. And the sisters used to come to do their shopping for the week. And they saw me in the, uh, the shop and they come to me to serve, to be served. So I used to serve them. And then as the time go on, they come from time to time and they <laughs> seem to be, I'm targeted. <laughs> so one day, one of the little sisters said to me, would you have time to come and help us out? And I said, oh, oh yeah, sure. So I decided one day to go and help them. But I realized the home was not built, but they were going out to the villages to take care of the poor and the sick. So I have to help them up to interpret it because some of them, they don't understand the English. So I used to go with them, used to... Interpreter, huh? Yes, <laughs> bathe them. And the sisters were doing their dressing because those days our island was a little bit short of medication because a lot of them had these elephantitis. 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 So the sisters were able to help them. Hmm. But to me, it was a little shock because I've never seen, I didn't, you know, I never met my grandparents. And to see the sisters coming all the way from other countries to take care of my own people. I suppose that's how I, you know, the Lord showed me the way to help the sisters. And that's really, 
I said to myself, okay, Sarah, what would you do in this case? You come all the way there, you do something. So that's how I'm. I think it's. I think we we all have stories about how we were invited, yes. somehow how we were invited, yeah. and um, you know we can. I think behind it always is the knock of the the knock of the Lord on the door of our heart, yes. and it and it can come to us through different people. Mm-hmm. So I I know when I first went to the seminary we'd all sit around and talk about vocation stories, and everybody's vocation story is different, but the same, because the one who is calling us is is the same person. Uh, the Lord's the one that that calls us, and so um, well, good. So now, so the sisters have been here in in the United States for 150 years, mm-hmm. but locally here in our diocese, the sisters have been here for 35 years. Yes. So this is a bit of a celebration for us as well. Yes. So how about, why don't we talk a little bit about Via Guadalupe and the sisters here and uh, and the residents that we have here. The, uh, it was Bishop Pastridge who invited us, and he had prayed for a long time for the Little Sisters to come here and take care of the Native Americans. And finally, after 14 years, we came, and they gave us the property, and we lived in the two cottages down there. And there were five Little Sisters that came at after December 8th of that year. and. Um, they they first went off they to um, the reservation, and our first resident's name was Frances Curley, and so they went and got her. Very popular last yeah. name, a Navajo last yeah. name. Yeah. So she came, and it just sprang. The sisters spent a lot of time going to the reservations and seeing the residents in little hovels, no heat, no water, and so they came to us. And um, the sisters had to get used to the language, you know, the the animals. We had sheep and goats, and because that's what the residents were used to. So, and then they would help the sisters in the kitchen, making the fried bread, and just it just all kind of. And because we're the mission home, a lot of the homes in the United States sent things to help us. Yes. So, like for our first Christmas, the residents they had a Christmas sale. A boutique, and it from then on the it's just grown and grown. And we and we get we get a lot of people that will come here to do missionary work yes. too. We get a lot of high school age, college, college age. Groups. I remember there's the one group that I knew from Phoenix and the from first Gilbert. from Gilbert. It started with five. Yes. My my uh, good friend Father Greg Menegay brought five girls from his parish, and it's grown. I mean, I think that sometimes they get close to eighty people yes. that will come on this. Yeah pilgrimage and, and this mm-hmm. mission trip and they start when they get back following the trip they start planning for next year's trip yeah. and I know that they, they even have to t- they have to they have to cap the number yeah. which and so that's just one group I know we have lots and lots of groups we have about 12 uh, eight groups already scheduled for this coming winter and then we have the focus group that's coming December 26th they come from the 26th to the 1st of January and their f- focus for, is from all over. And they're, they're so they're given the, the time of their uh, Christmas vacation. vacation. Mm-hmm. That's right. So we get a lot of people with Christmas vacation, summer vacation, spring, spring break. Spring spring breaks. Breaks. And I can't think of a better way to not only to do good, but stay out of trouble <laughs> by coming and hanging out with the little sisters of the poor. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Although so, they do get in trouble with us too. Well, you know, there's only so much we can do. But I do. think what is interesting for the missionaries, they come, but they really don't know what they're getting into. You know, they don't have any idea of the culture of the residents, or many of them have never worked with the elderly. So we try to have them spend time with the elderly and the sisters to see the integration and how much they can learn and to love. It's just a matter of self-giving that they haven't had opportunities to do before. And I think one of the other great things, too, is in, if, if, especially if we have young ladies that come here, and in a sense it's, a, it's an unofficial come and see. Mm -hmm. And you never know when they come and they start to do this work alongside the sisters and others, you never know how the Lord is, might move their heart. And this might be the great work that he has for a young lady mm -hmm. uh, to, to join the community. So yesterday we had a very big celebration on the Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe. We had a very big celebration to celebrate the 150 and the 35 years. And at the conclusion of Mass, I asked everyone present with us to pray for vocations to the Little Sisters of the Poor specifically. A lot of times we pray generically, but I said pray for it specifically to the community. And if you know a young lady who appears that she might have the heart for this, this type of work, she might have this particular vocation, to encourage her, encourage her to, to learn more about the, the Little Sisters of the Poor. And the best way that you can learn more about the Little Sisters of the Poor is by immersing yourself in their life. That's the best way to, uh, to, to do that. So, well, sisters, thank you for being uh, my guest on, uh, on this episode of Crozier Cast. I know this one is going to go viral. It's going to go all <laughs> over the place. And uh, we'll put some good things in the mission uh, notes, and we might even put a picture of Maxie, the, the house dog, in the, in the, in the, in the, the show notes as well. So, uh, Suzanne, thanks for uh, leading us through this. And Do you have any yeah. words that you want to share with us to sign us off? Um, no, just a personal note. I think the Little Sisters are the reason that my family is in Gallup because my dad got his job um, as the personnel director back right when my mom was pregnant with me and then she applied for the hospital because she's a local doctor here. So um, we stayed in this house right down here as the first place that we... <laughs> the cottage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's, it's, uh, I think everybody and everybody who lives in Gallup, whether they're Catholic or not, has seen the sisters and so... If you ever see them around, if you live in a different town or you live in Gallup, always go up and say hi. Or they, they love to see how you can get involved. So and that's it. But anything else from you, sisters? You know, I just love this quote from Pope Francis, you know, that the poor are our passport to paradise. Yeah. So I think, in, you know, for the little sisters, when we come to Villa Guadalupe, yeah. you know, we think about this being an international congregation, but it just kind of touches home to us because True. it is a special mission. It's different from all of our other homes in the United States, but the fact that they really are our passport. And we do what we can for them, certainly to show them the face of Jesus like Sean Jugan, but and they're she, our ticket to heaven. She always said too, never forget that the poor are our Lord. Yeah. So we always, you know, if you keep that front and center, sure. you can always see, try to see Jesus in all of them. Matthew 25, right? It's all about Matthew 25, which is, I know whenever I give talks or preach homilies or, or um, give retreats or whatever, I seem to always roll through Matthew 25. There's so much there about our Lord 
and uh, to those who are sick and those who are infirmed and those who are homeless. So every time we've done this for the least of these, we've done this to, uh, for our Lord. And, um, and he talks about the separation at the end, sheeps and the goats. We want to make sure we're among the sheep. <laughs> Stay away from the goats. That's right. <laughs> All right, well, sisters, thank you for joining thank us. You. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Susan.